Yate Steve Pelletier Yinishay, Mai Deshkizni initially, Biligana Bashachin, Keen Lachitni Dashache, Biligana Dashanelli. Welcome back to Res Ball. I'm joined once again by my guy Piston Mike. We're going to discuss the Detroit Pistons offseason so far because you never know. Things might change. We recorded this on Sunday, July the 2nd. So things might change in between now and even in August. So let's go ahead and get started with Piston Mike right now. Welcome back, Piston Mike. Piston Mike, let everybody know where they can find you first, all the way on the web. Maybe not on Twitter, because apparently Elon doesn't know how that operates anymore. <laughs> yeah, um, you can find me at Piston Mike on YouTube. You can find me on Piston Mike underscore on Instagram, man. And thank you for always having me, Steve. It's always a pleasure talking Pistons basketball with you. Of course, man, you're one of the OGs, my OGs in podcasting on on any platform or whatever, you know, do it on the phone, do it on the computer, wherever it is. So we're talking about the Pistons entire offseason right now. So far, again, that'll be the subtitle for this, the Pistons offseason. So far, we're recording this on July 2nd. Let's start with the coaching hires. Uh, Let's start with that for the Pistons offseason and not just Monty Williams, but all the other coaches that have been brought in. Um, I know for sure I do like um what's his name? Jared Jack, I believe. Yeah, yeah, Jared Jack. He I he he wasn't uh he wasn't out of the league not that too long ago. I think the first year in the G League at night, he was one of them players. Yeah, players I think so too. Like, yeah, now that you're saying that it rings a bell. Yeah, I think he was playing with uh Jalen Green and those guys. Yeah, he he was a really, really solid, really, really good point guard for a while in the NBA, so I like him. And it's very interesting that Mighty added him. It's also really um, interesting that they pretty much fired everyone from Dwayne Casey's staff. Um, I believe they added a big man, Savant. I'm forgetting his name. I think his name is Mark something, Mark Uh Jackson. That one I'll look up because the only ones I really know a lot about are uh, Dan Burke, the defensive specialist, and then Jared Jack. So I'll look that up in a minute, but keep going. Yeah, um, I really like the stat, but this guy is supposed to be like a big man savant. He's worked with like a really like some of the best big man recently. So I really like I liked everything they did with the coaching staff and got new a new shooting coaching staff hopefully that's better than um John Beeline because we took a jump and then you know everybody shooting kind of was down last year for some reason I don't know what happened um some people just forgot how to shoot I guess but yeah I, I like it man um people are mad about the I, I know some people was kind of in the middle about the um Monty Williams I, I absolutely love it get a get a coach in there who brought you know what I'm saying? One of the better teams to the finals. He coached his way way up. He coached that team up from the, when they were barely winning until making them to the finals. So I don't – and there was a report came out after they hired him that he didn't really like DeAndre Aiden. Um, he was kind of difficult to deal with. So was Jay Crowder. So, yeah. Yeah, so at least it scratched those guys off of the Pistons free agency or trade target rate. I don't know that there were still many people out there arguing for DeAndre Ayton as a trade target. But I know last offseason, that was one of the the talking points of the offseason was like, oh, maybe they should probably just, you know, give a chance to DeAndre. But nope, that ship has sailed. Same with uh, Jay Crowder, who went elsewhere. The Jay Crowder one's odd, though. I wonder what, like, the beef was between the two, because it seemed like he really did trust Jay Crowder quite a bit, and he was his starting power forward for a long time. So you said the um, coach that you were most excited for. I'm not seeing him so far. 
David Hopla is the shooting coach. Silas, Stephen Silas is one of the assistant coaches. Jarrett Jack is another assistant coach here. Then we got uh, everybody else that's still listed on Real GM is from this last season. I know they hired Nate McMillan's son. I know um, Doc Rivers, one of Doc Rivers' sons was here as well. So I'm not sure. And Dan Burke. Dan Burke is here. Dan Burke's the one that I was like, that's pretty good because he comes over from Philadelphia. Very highly regarded coach who is known for being a defensive mastermind, which is definitely what this team needs. We'll get into that a little bit further down the line with the roster. But man, last year they were atrocious on defense. They need all the defensive help they can get. So I was really excited with that. And even Steven Silas, I really like that for being the assistant head coach. I think he was given a raw deal in Houston because he was hired to try and contend. And that was when the team still had James Harden. And then he gets there and immediately Harden's fat. He doesn't want to be there and they trade him. And then he's stuck with this team that has nothing. And then they draft Jalen green and all the pirates on that pirate ship. It was just a tough ask for him. I think he handled it as well as he could too. Um, another guy that famously did not like his starting center in Alperin Shangun. So maybe he and Monty can, uh, you know, stew over that. And they'll definitely like beef stew and Jalen Duran, who will be a little bit more open to their ear than these other guys are and definitely more defensively inclined than Aiton and then, uh, Mr. Alpern Shangun. So move. Go ahead. Yeah, um, I forgot all about him. I do like that guy. Um, he was very interesting. Like you said, I don't think he ever got a fair chance. I totally forgot about us hiring him necessarily. So, but he is a guy that I really like. And again, shout out to Jared Jack. He's the one that's going to be coaching the NBA Summer League team for the Detroit Pistons. He will be the head coach. So if you're out in Vegas, shout out head coach Jared Jack there. So that's the coaching staff. Do you have any other thoughts on the coaching staff other than that? Nah. Yeah, like I said, I keep, I've been Googling it now to try and find like a full list of who the coaches are, but I can't quite find it. So we'll have to return to that at another date. So after the coaches, the draft happened and the Pistons took Asar Thompson at number five. And then they took Marcus Sasser at 25 after trading up from pick number 31. What are your thoughts first on Asar? At first, I didn't really like the pick. I wanted Taylor Hendricks, but after that, I kind of settled into it. I was thinking about it. I was like, ah, I kind of, I kind of see what they, where they're going. Um, He'll probably be a guy coming off the bench. Um, he's going to be a really good defender. He's a really good athlete. The shooter might come around. He worked with one of the best shooters, Mike Miller, um, in the OTE. So there is some promise in two or three years he can become a star. So at first, I kind of hated it, but now I'm coming around to it. But Marcus Sasser, oh, I was so happy to get Marcus Sasser. Combo guard plays really good defense. He's only 6'2", but got a six foot seven wingspan. Great defender. Led Houston. Um, great three point shooter. I love. I love Marcus Sasser. I'm surprised that the Pistons even got him. I'm like, yes. So, yeah. Yeah, I really like Asar. He's been somebody that I've been pumping up all season. I was honestly really out on the Thompson Twins when I first started my, you know, diving into their film. Normally, I don't start like really seriously talking about that year's draft prospects until somewhere between August and October, because I think it's unfair to like pump them up before then. You don't really get a chance to see them in competitions like FIBA, U19. You don't really get to see them uh, in their team context specific, like Brandon Miller at Alabama. If you just looked at him before that, it was like a eh, mid-range shooter or whatever. But if you looked at him over the summer with the Alabama team looked like a, a different player and you were already kind of, I mean, there were so many people in the draft community that were like, yeah, this guy's legit because look at how he's played with this team and even his own coaching staff saying he's one of the best scorers they've ever coached. Like that's why I, I'm like that in that regard. So it's funny to me that I was really down to the Thompson starting the year, but the more you dive into them, like you said, tremendous young men, very good, you know, character, 
like very self-aware too. That's the one thing that you really like about them throughout this process is they never shied away from the fact that they can't shoot and they've never said like, ah, you know, we're okay. Or like, ah, we'll be fine. They're 100% honest and open that man, we really have to work on these things. And also that the overtime elite, I don't want to say the competition's bad because I don't think it's really as bad as it, it's been made out to be. And people have overblown that. They've also understood like this is a gigantic leap now. And we also took a risk going down this route that nobody ever went down. So we know we're going to take a lot of fire and a lot of flack for doing this. Um, I'll just say this one thing, too, about the overtime elite. If you think that competition is bad, it's probably better than the likes of guys like Kobe, uh, KG. Um, why am I blanking on everybody right now? T-Mac. You know, J.R. Smith, all these guys that came out of high school, they probably face worse competition, if I'm being quite honest, because at least the overtime elite got a lot of different elite prospects together in the room to see who's gone on from this last season, like college or professional ranks everywhere. I, I understand it is more of like a run and gun league and they didn't really play defense, but it's not as if Asar and I'm in just played in like the Greek B league. And Oh, by the way, the last guy that played in the Greek B league turned out pretty good as well. It's more about the prospect, but I really like Asar being a more like traditional wing. And I always had him above Amen since like January, because I thought he worked on his complimentary offensive skill set way more than his brother. He does not require the ball in his hands as much as his brother. And he worked on his jump shot a lot. It still ended up being around 29% when you count all of the numbers, the preseason, the regular season, the off season, you put all those numbers together. Still ends up being about 29% on just over a hundred shots total. So obviously it's not where you would like it to be, but the fact that he kept putting them up, he went one for 17 in the preseason, started the first 10 games shooting 36% from three. The final six to seven games in the regular season, he was in like the low 20s. It was terrible. And then in the five game playoff they had, he ended up shooting 38.5%. So those were always positive things to me. And the most positive part of it was that he kept shooting it. You know, any good shooter will tell you the only way to get out of a shooting slump is to keep putting them up. And for somebody who doesn't really have a reliable jump shot, he understood like the only way I'm going to get better at this is to keep doing it in real game situations. So, and beyond that, you know, many of us have made the Andre Iguodala comparisons. That's the exact kind of player this guy can be. He can be like a secondary or third ball handler. He can be a secondary or third playmaker. And when that jump shot comes around, then he's going to be fantastic all around scoring threat. And even if it doesn't come around, like, you know, Iguodala didn't exactly have the most consistent jump shot. Even with Golden State, he still ends up being a difference maker, winning finals MVP, mainly off his defense alone. So, uh, Asar is the exact kind of player that the Pistons needed. And the three I really came away from saying that they needed to draft were Asar, Jairus Walker, or Taylor Hendricks. So I'm glad they got one of those three. I think if they drafted somebody else, I would feel like more uneasy because all three of those guys fit what they needed defensively. And they all had like complementary skill set to where they're not going to get in the way of Cade and Ivy. And the good thing about Asar maybe a little bit more over everybody else is it shows the team is not rushing anything. Asar is going to take time. It's not as if he's plug and play. It's not as if you're going to know exactly what he is, even at the end of his second year, it's going to take time and the team understands that and they're ready to rock with that. I don't know. One of the things I've been concerned and worried about so much is that they just want to rush this rebuild. And all of a sudden now they're trying to push for the plan, which they don't need to do. Um, I'm glad that the SAR at least signals that, but okay, we know this guy doesn't need to be rushed, but we know he has major potential. So we'll take time. I think Sasser was kind of the opposite thought of that, of like, we want to find somebody that fills a skill that we need right now, who's low risk. <clears throat> and Sasser is one of the more low risk prospects you can get in this. You know, he plays good point of attack defense. That's something the Pistons need. And you know, he's a fantastic volume three point shooter, both things the Pistons need. It would surprise me very much if Sasser doesn't end up being somebody like Javon Carter, who I think you could be pretty similar to because Carter is a 40% three-point shooter, but he doesn't really need to shoot that well to make a difference. I mean, we've heard Coach Casey talk about it last season when they played the Bucks, And every coach really that, that's faced Javon Carter has said that. It's his defense that separates himself from it. Um, but Sasser might be another level shooter than that. 
I went back and looked at a bunch of old film and things because I was like, I'm trying to find somebody that Sasser compares to, especially at like starter level. And the one that I came away from is Charlie Ward. I don't know if any of y'all remember Charlie Ward out there, but he was a starting point guard for a lot of those 90s uh, New York Knicks team. He was the starting point guard after Derek Harper left. And then he and John Starks kind of shared the guard duties there while he was there. But Starks came off the bench because he was more of a scorer and Ward was more of a floor spacer facilitator and better defender. But he never put up like gaudy stats. He was mainly there to feed Ewing, feed um, uh, Grandma Mahler, Johnson, feed Allen Houston, feed Spree when he got there and then space the floor out. So people kept, um, you know, their hands off of the other guys. I think Sasser could be that way of like he plays pestering defense and then he's just the perfect complement to the other starters as a high end outcome. I think it could be like that. But even at a low end outcome, like I said, guy off the bench like Javon Carter, who just plays tough defense, continues space out the floor. It's a smart pick. I don't know about trading up for him, but you can't argue with the player. What do you think about the trade up, though, from 31 to 25? Because they ended up giving, up, I want to say, three second-round picks, right? Yeah. Uh, um, it's, I think it's fine because they end up getting it, getting two of them back So with the um, Harris trade. So I don't really think – my thing is um, I didn't – for a minute there, it wasn't official. I'm guessing it's official now. they saying it was a bigger deal. So I don't know. They, they announced a day or two ago that it's official on the Pistons. Oh, okay. put, up, put up a tweet for it. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So speaking of free agency now, this is, might be the one where most people did not like what happened in free agency, starting with that. The Pistons didn't sign any free agents. Instead, they took about their $30 million in cap space. First move they made was trading for Joe Harris. They pretty much gave up nothing and got two for two second round picks. And Joe Harris and his 19 million, just a little bit over 19 million dollar salary, which is an expiring deal this year. Joe Harris played 74 games last year as well. There's this thing out there that he's kind of done or that he, you know, is a medical risk. Yes, he recovered from injury, but again, he played 74 games last year, dropped 42.6% from three. So that's the exact kind of guy you need six foot six around 220. Normally plays a small forward spot, can't play shooting guard or power forward, depending on what you ask of him. And then after that, they follow up. They take one of those second round picks they got, and then they end up trading for our guy straight out of Flint town, Monte Morris. And he comes over to the Pistons to fill in that other guard spot. Always been a fantastic shooter. 39% for his career from three point range. He's normally around like a three to one assisted turnover ratio guy too. Like you will find few guys that play the point guard position better and Monte Morris. So welcome back, Monte. Welcome here, Joe. Now the Pistons sit with about 725,000 left in cap space. So teeny tiny bit under the cap. A lot of people still think there's a trade coming. What do you think of this free agency, quote unquote, all so far of Joe Harris and Monte Morris? I love it. Um, they both can shoot. We need shooting. We need a shooting bad. They both guys who don't necessarily need the balls in the, the ball in their hands to be effective. They can catch and shoot and knock it down. I think they're going to add a lot, a lot. And what perfect, you know, backup guard to mentor Marcus Sasser than Monte Morris, you know? He's been in the league. He said he said this all season. This season, he's trying to win most improved player. He's got goals. He's a hometown kid. Why not? And what other guy for Marcus has to learn from than Monte Morris? Maybe he can teach him how to take over his role, whether he's here in the near future or when he's gone. So I absolutely like it. I like the Joe Harris. And these is guys who can both be flipped at the deadline to contenders for even more assets that nobody's even talking about. Come on, man. We gave up only $110,000 for Joe Harris. That's it. And we got two second round picks, man. The one thing that I've been waiting on Weaver is we need to get more first round picks because we do or 
the New York Knicks one of our draft picks in the near future. So we need to obtain more assets. But I absolutely love it. And I do think it's another trade coming. If not, if not the trade coming, we got $2 million for trading Bosa, Kofor, Vita, I believe, too, from L.A. Yeah. And not, and not only that, um, we do got a player set. So. Yeah, thanks for putting the Bolsa one in there. Man, That's this is the new NBA we're operating in because of the new CBA. If you don't know, there's two aprons uh, in terms of the salary cap. Basically meaning like you can go over the salary cap and then when you reach the first apron over that, it's a certain dollar amount. You have to pay a certain amount. It limits who you can sign and all that. And the second one is the killer. If you get over that second tax apron, then your salary, your luxury salary tax is gigantic. And then it pretty much kills everybody you can sign. You no longer have a mid-level, mid-level exception. Excuse me. You also can only sign mid uh, minimum veteran minimum contracts in free agency. And then the other one that might be the most damaging is that you cannot trade guys that are cut at the trade deadline, which every contender and every, I want to say every team that's won a title the last five years has done where like, you know, PFPJ Tucker bucks Stein PJ Tucker at the trade deadline after he got cut. And then he ended up being integral piece to help them win that title. That's not going to be able to happen if you're over that, that second luxury apron. And for a team like the Los Angeles Clippers who are already in salary cap hell, they're going to be doing these things now. So it's a wise move to make if your team like super under the cap to be like, sure, we'll eat whatever money you need to get under those aprons, but you got to give us something back in return. And again, I don't know how people could criticize what you just said. Joe Harris, they gave up, what did you say? $110,000. And then uh-huh. they gave up literally nothing for like Bolster wasn't even here. Most people roasted that draft pick and then they turned it into $2 million. Like, come on, man. Those are those are really underrated moves. And it's better than signing a free agent who is going to cost a lot of money and who might end up like, you know, throwing a monkey wrench in your long term plans. Like Houston is the anti what I would like to do. $210 million on Fred Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks. That is ridiculous, a little bit reckless. As much as I love Fred Van Vliet, like, man, that really puts a lot of onus on those two guys. And again, it takes the emphasis away from their young core, which is where the emphasis should be. And why I like both Joe Harris and Monty Morris for everything that you laid out. I mean, I don't really have anything else to add other than, like you said, they provide shooting. They fill out the roster. If you looked at any of uh, Monty Williams's Phoenix Suns teams, there was at least six guys in the rotation who shot 34% from three or better. The Pistons obviously don't have six guys right now. I mean, it would be Livers, Bojan, Burks. There's three. And then they added two more now in Joe Harris and in Monty Morris. So then the other two guys can emerge from somewhere else. You hope it's Ivy and Cade. You hope that Beef Stew can get in there as well. But these guys take the pressure off of Ivy and Cade to need to do that 1000% right now. These other guys can provide that spacing so they can operate inside. Cade can go in his mid range. Ivy can get to the hoop. And then Beef Stew can not have that pressure on him to have, you know, these other guys actually have to be covered to where he has a little bit more space to continue to expand his three point game. So I think those are good two ways to use up the cap space. Yeah, for sure. I like it because what nobody else is talking about, the Pistons could potentially have over a hundred million dollars in the free agency class that's way better than this. Y'all want Jalen Brown? We could possibly get Jalen Brown. I'm just saying. Yeah, that's exactly. I mean, that's exactly what I've been saying from here to Woodrow Pistons, everywhere I've been on. It's like, don't spend money this free agent class because next free agent class is really good. We talked beforehand before we started recording. For me, it's the restricted free agents. The top three, the team should be targeting Jaden McDaniels. From the Timberwolves, they're not going to have the money to pay him, so you can throw a big money offer at him, and they're probably not going to re-sign him at that. And then the second one is Trey Murphy from the Pelicans. Same kind of situation there. And then the third is Josh Green from the Mavericks. He's obviously not as productive as the other two guys, but still super athletic, defensive wing, who's super efficient as well. And all these three guys are young. 
I think Murphy is going to be the oldest one. He's probably like 24, 25 next year. The other guys are like 22, 23. Like, come on, you can't argue with that. And oh, if you don't want to go that route and get it in the free agency, restricted free agency bidding, then you still have OGN and OB out there. You still have Pascal Siakam potentially out there. You just said Jalen Brown. There are way more options that fit this Pistons roster and that makes sense instead of trying to, you know, shoehorn, you know, Dylan Brooks in here saying like, oh, we believe in Kelly Oubre or something ridiculous like that um, and having to pay him big money. This just seems like such a smarter idea. If we're if we're here next year and they don't sign one of those guys, you and I probably riot and we'll ream them. But right now, it seems like that's the play, correct? Yeah, I, I, I think that's the play. And ain't no telling because we don't know the draft, the draft from what I'm reading, the 2024 NBA draft, they got a lot of wings at the top of that draft class, even though it's apparently weaker. The one thing that I notice is if the Pistons somehow get in that six or seven or eight ranks, them teams been moving up to the top three. So they might bless us next year. And who knows, we might end up with a Ron Island who play a wing that I like or Xavier Booker or something. So you never know, man. You never know. Yeah. And as the draft guy here, because I've been doing a bunch of 2024 stuff, I just watched the FIBA Team USA team fall to Turkey. So they didn't even medal this year. They fall to fourth place. Now, the best way you can describe 2024 right now is uncertain. There's nobody really that separated themselves at the top. I know uh, Matas Buzelas is going to be the name that most people say is number one. That's going to change. I think it's going to be a fight for top and number one. I always hate when people say like, it's a worse class or whatever, or like, it's not as talented. It's like, these always end up coming back to bite people in the butt because Giannis came out of the less talented than 2014 class. Devin Booker came out of a less talented class. There's always people to find in there. It's just, again, right now, there's nobody that's clearly separated themselves and there's nobody that everybody's going to be like, yeah, they're, they're a can't miss there. It's a lot of dudes that still need to prove a bunch of things, which is fine. But that's going to be another reason why people are going to be down on it because there's no clear cut like, oh my gosh, look at this guy here, which could end up benefiting um, the Pistons of the long run as well. But again, why 2024 free agency should be more of a priority because you go into this 2024 class that you knew probably two years ago was going to be less certain than this one with Wembenyama. So you want to set yourself up to get a really good athletic potential wing or Wembenyama here in 2023. And then in 2024, you can draft more of a depth piece and really focus on free agency in there again, which is why we keep saying this should definitely 100% be the play. I'm like you, though. I would like them to gain more first round picks. I really wish they had gone the route of like eating more salary just to recoup picks. But I don't know. Maybe that ship has sailed. Do you see a world in which they're able to get even another first round pick back? Because it's hard for me to see that without them trading like K to Ivy or whatever, because everybody else in the roster, I don't really know is worth first round pick. I mean, it, it, it really depends on how desperate um, it would depend on what we use our cash base on next year. Um, it would depend on how desperate other teams is to get off of somebody for a first round pick. That That's the, one of the ways I could see. Or I think Bojan might be worth a later first round pick, not a totally like somewhere a team I could see in the 25, 30 range who they know they're going to be in a 25, 30 range might give up that type of pick for Bojan. But besides that, probably not. Yeah, I'm of that mindset too. maybe one late first rounder or like right now. Maybe there's a contender that kind of struck out and they still need somebody who just is a really good floor spacer and they have somewhere to fill in 20 million because Bojan's yeah. deal, the way it's structured, it's not fully guaranteed for the following season. So they're pretty much just having an expiring one in there. Burks, uh, it's hard for me on Burks because I feel like he's the one that they really can't trade. He makes too much sense for this current roster. He's also an expiring so, like, if they really wanted to keep him for another season or two, they can work out another deal. Also, if he's not worth a first-round pick, I don't really know that it's worth trading Alec Burks, one of your main floor spacers, and 
one of your veteran leaders, right? Yeah, I agree. Um, but I think a certain team, the way that the new CBA, they might give up a late first round pick for him too. Because man, when when he play, man, he can light it up. He can score. He gets a lot of um people to foul. So I think he. Because the C- the new CBA, man, is crazy. I think a lot of more teams is going to be a lot more desperate, and they're going to be like, forget them first-round picks, man. We need somebody in here, man. We're trying to win. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. I don't know. Look, Burks is like that balance of good enough that you don't want to give him away for nothing. Mm. Perfect salary to where he's easier to trade than Bojan. But he, sure. if you made me pick between the two, I mean, it, people could roast me for this or whatever. I would rather give up Bojan for one future second round pick than Burks for like a low first rounder. Because to me, there's not too big a difference in those things, too. And for defensive continuity and like trying to build a coherent roster, Bojan just doesn't make sense anymore for both both sides, right? He's too old mm-hmm. for this core. Defensively, he's too much of a liability that he messes things up. And again, the more I look at it, the more I'm like, yeah, he could play with beef stew. But then again, there's that gigantic hole at the three defensively that just makes everything fall apart. Sure, he could play with a SAR, move Bojan over to the four. But again, he's just going to get dunked on and roasted on defense there. I don't know that he really sets screens or wants to set screens as a four. So forget having another guy out there that could set screens for Caden Ivy, who needs screens to be set for them. And then as a second unit, like bucket getter, sure. But again, does he get in the way of Burks? And doesn't Burks do a better job of doing that? And if you just look at the overall like defensive efficiency numbers, Burks is in like the mid 70s in defensive field goal uh, percentage mm-hmm. and defensive efficiency. But Boyan is like in the 20s and 30s. So those those are the numbers to me that I'm like, this team can't cover that guy up. Whereas like a Los Angeles Lakers, they could cover him up easily, right? They got Vanderbilt, they got AD. It's not going to matter. They can put him somewhere else where he can still be a fine team defender. But on this Pistons team, he just doesn't make that much sense anymore. If any sense. Yeah, he, he doesn't. Um, be surprised if not him or Bagley's traded. Somebody got to go. Somebody got to get traded. So you got it. You got on to my next point. Mark Sankofa just put out a, a story this morning from the Detroit Free Press entitled Detroit Pistons Free Agency Thoughts. Position to be major players in the trade market. And his idea is what the guys they brought in who are expiring deals like Joe Harris, uh, Boyan's pretty much an expiring, Burks is an expiring, and these are all around 10 million or above players. Joe Harris is 19 ish. Boyan's 20-ish. Like these are guys you can combine together to eat a major salary for somebody who's really good. Or maybe even somebody like right now. So number one, do you believe there's a trade coming? And number two, who would you like that trade to be if it does come? Um, yeah. I think it could be um if I had to um guess it's either gonna be Boyan or Bagley. And to be honest, who what I want it to be, I can't really say who I want it to be, but maybe um, I just seen something with the Nets trying to get Lillard. Maybe, you know, maybe you the third team. Um, maybe you take on Ben Simmons' contract for some future first-round picks. Nice. I don't know if anybody likes that. You stole my thunder. I've been thinking that exact same thing, though. And, I mean, my guy Scott has proposed this pretty much all year. I was out on it, but the more I've thought about it, the more I think that's something that should be a priority if they really don't care about, like, filling out free agents. What, what's the reason you would, like, consider that and be like, you know what, I think I would do it? Um... I would do it for a couple reasons. Um, I would do it just to because we know they got future draft capital from the 76ers. Um, and also the reason people and from are the down Suns, on, and from the Suns. Yeah. People are down on Ben Simmons, and I get why. But one thing we can't deny is he can really defend. Um He's a decent defender. And I think Monty can get the best out of him. 
I really do. I think that I don't think he's ever going to be able to shoot threes, but just have him at least shoot a mid range. That's that's all I'm going to say about it. But I think you can get him to do that. So. Yeah, I'm not even in, in a belief of like Ben Simmons is ever going to be anything good. I just want those picks. I mean, if they could get like this is legitimately could be like four first round picks, right? You could get like two of those Philly ones, two of those Phoenix ones. And if you're like, oh, those are going to be terrible returns in the low 30 in the low, you know, low part of the first round. Maybe Embiid's not exactly the healthiest guy. Harden might just bounce right now. And then Phoenix, those super teams, they really haven't worked out as well as people have wanted them to right like we just said with the new cba like the the suns every year going forward now they're going to be in that second apron already so they're not going to be able to pick anybody up at the the deadline that gets cut they're only going to be able to offer free agent minimums like i said that could blow up pretty fast too i'm not saying it's going to but even then four future first round picks that's a treasure chest that the pistons need and you're really only taking on Ben Simmons for two years. My whole caveat with the whole thing would be, though, is like you have to meet with him to see where his head's at. And number two, you have to tell him you're playing power forward or center. That's your role. And if he can't accept that, then I'm sorry the trade can't happen. I'll be back. I got to use the bathroom. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll just pause it. It's all good. I can cut this. All right. Sorry about that, Steve. I'm back. Oh, it's all good, man. Like, I can always just find the line where it goes silent in the recording later and just chop that part out anyway. Uh, all right. So what were we talking about? Oh, yeah. Ben, ben Simmons. Um, what would your thoughts be on, like, Ben Simmons' playing in Detroit or, again, this idea that he can't because my worry would be he'd want the ball again and, you know, try and push Kate and Ivy out of the way. Like, you got to get over that part first, right? Yeah, I, I think I think Monty Williams is good at putting players at a um, specific role. I think he can get Ben, ben Simmons to do that game. We all know he ain't the player that he used to be, but we can put you in a really good role. And this is going to be a road. And, um, you know, you're going to have to make a lot of cuts. You're going to have to play a good amount of defense. Um, and that's just going to be a road. So. Yeah, and really it's only one season because if you have one season and it all blows up in your face, I don't like the stretch provision, but you could stretch that last year over like, you know, four or five years. Just eat it a little bit in the cap room. You're a team that doesn't really – maneuver in free agency anyway so you know five ten million or whatever for a couple seasons not really going to hurt you and then you could also just say forget it we'll keep his his cap hold on the books all the guys we want to play are here already and then you just wait until that salary comes off the books again two seasons isn't that much it might ruin their chances of what we just talked about in 2024 to get somebody that you really want, but who knows, maybe they trade for somebody right now. Like we're talking about as well. Cause 
Trading for Ben Simmons, I imagine, is pretty easy to do if you wanted to do it. It's not going to take a lot of, you know, we need X, Y, and Z in return. They probably want to get off that deal as soon as possible. So there's that as well, too. You're probably not giving that much. You're just asking, okay, I'm going to have this one guy who I know could be potentially cancer in the locker room. And he's eating up, I think it's like 35 million these next two seasons, something like that each season, um, which is a lot, obviously. But if you think you could navigate those two seasons and even then even just the one and then chop it up with the stretch provision or just eat it and you still have the guys that you want to play and rely on in those two seasons. Again, you could probably be looking at like four first round picks because, again, the perception on these picks right now that they're all going to be low first round picks and the Pistons need more draft capital, like you were saying. And especially if you're thinking about, well, I don't want to kill their cap space. It's like, you know what the most successful teams do? They don't rely on cap space like that. The heat, they use undrafted free agents to refill their rotation. Look at all those dudes they had last year. That's how they got a good team. Memphis, the way they filled out that rotation is they've gotten all these late first round picks. That's how they've been able to get like a Desmond Bain even in the midst of it. And then they have David Roddy, Sonny Aldama, you know, all these other dudes that come in, they're able to trade for somebody like DeAndre Melton, who was a low risk. And then they traded him out to Philly for another low first round pick. There is an avenue to be able to do it again. Like I keep saying, there are a couple things I keep saying. And one of them is, is if Cade and Ivy don't work out, then none of this matters anyway. Right. Free agent stuff don't matter. Like a Sar Thompson don't matter. Everything rides on Cade and Ivy being good. And this is another avenue just being able to supplement them because then you get these low first round picks that get guys that supplement Kate and Ivy. Definitely. Definitely. Um, that's the one thing that I'm happy. Um, we finally getting older players who can finally um, play like that. Marcus Sasser. It's like, Oh, finally we're getting somebody who can play play immediately you know an older guy you kind of know what role he's already going to play so yeah them guys is always important like you said the Grizzlies the Heat they always fill out the roster of them guys who go undrafted or later in the first round they always find them yeah and Oklahoma City is another one that's doing it right now that's why they have so many picks there is because they're like we're just going to fill out the roster this way we don't care about free agency because nobody wants to come to Oklahoma City anyway. This is the best way that we can move forward to get guys in our roster and not have to waste stupid contracts in free agency and just massively overpay guys who don't want to come here to the middle of Oklahoma. And I'm not, I'm sorry, Oklahoma City, but they've realized that already. It's been a thing. I mean, who's the biggest free agent signing in Oklahoma City Thunder history? I can't really. Yeah, I, mean, I would I would have to look it up. And when I mean free agency signing, I mean somebody who went from one team and then came over to Oklahoma City signing. Most of them, if not all of their big acquisitions, are either dudes they drafted or traded for. I would hope that Troy Weaver growing up in that system realizes like Detroit's way better than Oklahoma City, but they're not that far off in terms of like millionaire athlete perception of being a destination spot, right? I mean, Masai Ujiri is another guy that's really recognized that of like, I'm not going to get in the free agency game because it's just a losing battle since players will have to end up paying two forms of taxes, one to the you know, British government in Toronto and then the other one to the American government being a U.S. citizen. So that's my thought on like something like Ben Simmons. I know it might kill two seasons, but if your long-term plan is trying to fill out the roster and you don't want to go about it through free agency, then you either have to invest in the undrafted free agent market or like this, try and get a bunch of extra first round picks in the future. So that way you have at least that to identify talent and bring it in. Yeah, definitely. Um, I can't wait to see what's going to happen next, but yeah, I still got a feeling it's going to be another move made. Yeah. There's a lot, there's a lot of teams like, I know Dame wants out of Portland. We could be a third team in that, possibly. I'm here in Atlanta. Still likes Pascal Siakam. We could be in that. Um, so it's a lot of interest in moving pieces. I'm here. 
Yeah, I still think there's another trade for the Pistons coming this offseason, if I'm being quite honest. There are a few restricted free agents who haven't signed yet. There's two of them we talked about beforehand. One of them you said you really liked, and the other one I said I really liked. And I do think, like like you're saying, Lillard is asking to get traded, and then the other one is Harden. Harden, they said he was going to get traded to the Clippers. That hasn't happened yet. And the only way these types of trades happen is if a third team gets involved or if they just massively undersell, um, you know, Philly massively undersells for Harden, which I don't think that's going to happen knowing who their GM is and Daryl Morey. And then with Dame too, as well, I don't see that happening. So the Pistons could get involved in being the third trade partner here or even fourth or fifth. If it's one of those like super gigantic ones. And the the players that we talked about beforehand were PJ Washington of the Charlotte Hornets, who again has not re-signed yet. And the other one is Grant Williams of the Boston Celtics, who has not signed yet either. Do you think maybe that the team can still facilitate a move for those guys? Both young. I believe Grant is 24 and PJ's like 22, something like that. 23, 22. Like, do you think that still happens? Yeah. Um, um, Charlotte, I... It's kind of weird. Um, Charlotte, I don't know what's going on. They just gave LaMelo a bag. Like, yeah, and then they re-signed or tendered Miles Bridges, too, which I don't know if you want to get into that. Yeah, they did. They did that. But he's going to become an unrestricted free agent next year. I'm surprised they didn't. I'm surprised they not re-signed at least B.J. Washington. Yeah, you would have thought that would have been done. Yeah. He's been very productive. He was one of their bright spots. So, yes, I think, and we know Boston, and we can get Grand Williams because Boston can't afford him because now they got Kristaps Porzingis. They traded for him. So, I think, yes, we could get either one that we want. Personally, I would like P.J. Washington just a tad bit more. He's a little bit taller, more of a scorer. But he's a guy who can shoot threes, athletic, kind of a stretch four. Um, nothing wrong with Grant, Grant Williams. He's just a bit undersized, but he is strong. He can shoot two. They both can shoot. So I don't got no problem with either one of them. It's just, you know. Yeah, same. I think those are the two that profile best if the team was like still looking to do a, a sign in trade or something. And I think this is a way better move than Cam Johnson, who ended up signing for like 25, 26 million a year. Um, and Cam Johnson just hasn't played that many games. He's played some like 225 games in four years. I mean, if you just look at dudes from his own draft class, he's played the 14th most games. I mean, guys like Darius Baisley, freaking Darius Garland, who missed a whole calendar year due to injury. They've played more games than Cam Johnson, so you can't be doling out that kind of money to this dude who hasn't played that much. I mean, Grant Williams has played the most games out of that <laughs> that 2019 draft class. So he has that going for him as well. I think both PJ, like you said, and Grant profile, that's that stretch four. That is kind of a missing piece in this lineup. If the presumed starting lineup is Cade, Ivy, Asar, Duran, and then at the four, I'm not opposed to starting beef stew. I'm still a very much a big believer in beef stew. But again, his three-point shot is theoretical at this point. It's not an actuality. The missing part of that, you, you if you could say Bojan, again, like we just laid out, defensive liability. You're already asking for that defense to have one giant hole that nobody can cover up. Duran's not a movement dude that could cover for Bojan. Masar's a rookie. He's going to make so many different mistakes, right? But if you bring in a Grant Williams or a PJ, who've proven to be good team guys there, and they profile both as the exact kind of Jake Crowder shooter at the four, that Monty used in Phoenix makes perfect sense. So hopefully that shoe is yet to be dropped. And even if they don't, hopefully, hopefully they could get in like something like an OGN and OB trade market. That's the one that seems to be more and more heating up Pascal and OG. It just seems like they already have one foot out the door there. I wouldn't mind Pascal Siakam, but he wouldn't be my first choice either. Um, what do you think about those other two OG and Pascal? Yeah, like you said, Pascal is not my favorite one in mind. We're rather probably OG, but OG is going to cost, you know, more. I think they want the same price of OG. I think they might 
want to temper their expectations. He's a really good player, but I don't think he's worth, you know, what, you know, I don't think he's worth, I think he might be worth maybe two or three first. Other than that, you're just tripping. I don't think he's worth four or five or six. I think they've been trying to get teams for that. Yeah, I think they retract rejected three first from some team. I, I totally forgot, but yeah, we will definitely have to see. I think Pascal Siakam, you can get him maybe for a first or two and a solid, solid player. So I, because he's 29 years old, he's still, you know, he, he's getting up there in age and then, you know, teams is kind of like, eh, I'm not going to overpay for no 29-year-old, but we'll see. Yeah, for sure. And you're actually kind of talking me out of it now, because if it does require you moving like a first round pick and you already have one that you need to, you know, give to New York. And yeah, the because PJ and Grant, you can both see a, a real a, like a real actual trade happen right now where they give up Bojan and whatever. It's like you mm-hmm. said, Boston, they can't afford to pay Grant Williams. They need to get out of that. They need to just move on from him if he wants an actual serious contract that they can't give to him. So, yeah, move him for somebody that's useful or move him for some salary relief that they need. And same with PJ. Like it's, if they wanted PJ, they would have probably signed him already. Right. It just seems like that writing's kind of on the wall there. And then you get something to them in return, like a bullion or like a Barks or something else, an actual useful piece that they can use that still maintains their like cap flexibility for next year. Both guys, it doesn't seem like you really would need to give up much because one of them, it seems like Charlotte doesn't want him anyway. And the other one is, they're just, they got too many guys to pay in Boston and they already have Chris Stops, They have Rob Will and they have Al Horford. Like they can't afford to have Grant Williams really being like the fourth big making even like 10 to $15 million a year. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another interesting thing. Why did, why did they want Isaiah Stewart? That's why I was confused. Yeah, uh, yeah. If that's if that, I would say if it's believed to be true, they probably believe in his shooting. I would guess, um, mm-hmm. and they probably are looking for like Al Horford's replacement. If I had to like make one distinct guess, because Horford, I think he's on the last year of his deal. I mean, he's in his late thirties too, so it's not like he's going to be sticking around. <laughs> much longer. Um, and my thought on that too, is like, if the really good teams are looking to trade for your, your young dude, don't trade him then. Cause he's probably going to end up being pretty good. And you're going to end up regretting that down the line. So keep beef stew, please. All right, man, you got anything else to add about the Pistons off season so far? Nah, that's it. Yeah. Thanks again, Piston Mike, for coming through. Let everybody know where they can find you on Instagram, on YouTube, all those spots. Um, you can find me at Piston Mike on YouTube, Piston underscore Mike on Instagram. Um, like, share, comment, subscribe. Don't cost you anything, not even nickel or dime. Make sure you check out this podcast. Make sure you go over here following Steve. He's been doing great work on his podcast, but not only that, on Woodward Pistons. I do watch Woodward Pistons, especially when Steve is there, because I know he's going to cook. He's going to break down everything to a T. That's why we be rocking with Steve. So, yeah. Appreciate it. Appreciate it, man. And definitely go check out this man's YouTube channel all the time. You know, he's always dropping daily updates, stays on that grind. So we will catch you all next time. I'll go on it.